today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Now that might seem like a mission impossible according to the world standards today. We look at the things that are going on in the world and we wonder, how in the world can I take this book that was written, uh, gosh, over a period of two to 3,000 years ago and bring that into the lives and the hearts of people that have all the electronics, that have all the latest gadgets and get things that are going on. How can I bring this ancient document? Because guys, It is God-inspired and Spirit-inspired, and it still touches the hearts and lives of people today. That's why there's no other thing that we ought to be preaching or teaching other than the Word of God. Sometimes we question the relevancy of the Bible. In today's message from Pastor David, he teaches us that the Word is both God and Spirit-inspired, and is still relevant in the hearts and minds of people today. That is why it is important that we preach, teach, and study from the Word of God. No other book is more relevant or more transformational than the Bible. The Bible is the living word and is sharper than any sword. Get into God's word this week and share his word with others. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Mission Possible. We're still in our study in the book of Titus. A couple of weeks ago, we did Titus chapter 1. This morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 2. Imagine with me, if you would, if we were to take the book of Titus, and instead of just reading through it, that if we turned it into a movie, a action-packed, suspense-filled drama of a movie. How in the world would we be able to do that? What would we need to do? And what I want you to do is to let your imagination grow with me this morning. The opening scene would find a young missionary by the name of Titus being delivered this mysterious scroll just after he boarded a ship to an unknown destination. Opening the scroll, he reads, Good morning, Brother Titus. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, Involves travel to the Isle of Crete, but be very careful who you trust in that area. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. They're evil beasts. They're lazy gluttons. As you take leadership within the church, you will need to quickly set in order the things that are lacking. You will not be able to accomplish this task alone. Therefore, you are authorized to appoint elders in every city. However, you need to use caution in choosing those who you put in positions of local leadership, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. As always, there will be continual battles and attacks from both the world and even within the church. Should any member of your team suffer persecution, even unto death, understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is intimately aware of your sufferings, and great will be your reward in heaven." Remember, 
the message of the gospel will never be destroyed, nor will it return void. It will remain forever and accomplish all that it's set forth to do. But this scroll will disintegrate in five seconds. Well, in the opening chapter of the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul gives Titus a mission. It's a mission to set things in order, uh, to appoint elders for the task of oversight and leadership of the local churches uh, throughout the whole island. He gave Titus both the qualifications as well as some of the warnings about some of the things that were already in the church, and we spoke about that as we looked at chapter 1. Now as we're moving into chapter 2, we read where the apostle tells Titus to instruct the congregation of the church, to instruct the congregation to live their lives for the glory of God, to not be tangled up in the sinfulness and the directions and, and the lures of this present world. But this isn't the wisdom of man that he's giving him or some empty creed that, that Titus is supposed to bring to the people. He's to bring to them and teach them sound doctrine. As we see in verse 1, Paul writes to him, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Paul's instruction here kind of draws us back into the end of chapter 1, where he had warned Titus that all the false doctrine that had already come into the church there in Crete. And here he says, but as for you. And he's requiring something totally different for Titus at this point in time. Don't teach them what the others are teaching. The others are, are subverting whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain, giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. These are the things that he told him at the end of chapter 1. But here he tells Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. If you and I were to go to the doctor this week or a, perhaps a psychologist and get a diagnosis of our mind and we came back and he says that, well, most of us or at least some of us are pretty well balanced, we're, we're clear of thought, we would get the diagnosis of having a sound mind a sound mind. And that's exactly what he's speaking here about sound doctrine. The word actually means it's uncorrupted. So in teaching that, speak an uncorrupted doctrine. Titus was to bring to the people of God an uncorrupted teaching of God's truth, or, or even more literally, a healthy teaching of God's truth. This sound doctrine is what we find in the writings of Paul and the writings of the other apostles and the teachings of Jesus and even in the writings of the Old Testament. All throughout that, the word of God being rightly divided and then applied to the lives and the situations of the people there that Titus is going to be ministering to. It's the teaching of the entire word of God without any compromise and not allowing the morals of a particular culture or, or generation to water down or to pervert the validity of the word of God. It's not that we suddenly come to, well, we, we're a new generation, so this is an old book. We need to change this book in order to meet the needs of our current generation. No, the truth of God's word remains forever. It remains solid and true. That's why we need to fully understand that what was true for first century Crete is also true for 21st century Middle America and for Southeast Asia and for the Middle East and for South and North Korea and for any other 
culture and for any other people. Yes, we translate it into a language that they can understand, but the truth of this word has to remain full. It has to remain uncorrupted because it's fully transferable to the hearts and the minds of men and women and young people through the ages and throughout all cultures. Just as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he told Timothy, Timothy, you need to preach the word. You need to preach the word. You need to be ready in season and out of season to convince, to rebuke, to exhort, and with all long suffering and teaching. So here he comes and he tells Titus, speak the things which are, again, proper for sound doctrine. Now that might seem like a mission impossible according to the world standards today. We look at the things that are going on in the world and we wonder, how in the world can I take this book that was written, uh, gosh, over a period of two to 3,000 years ago and bring that into the lives and the hearts of people that have all the electronics, that have all the latest gadgets and get things that are going on. How can I bring this ancient document Because, guys, it is God-inspired and Spirit-inspired, and it still touches the hearts and lives of people today. That's why there's no other thing that we ought to be preaching or teaching other than the Word of God. Paul moves on now to give Titus instructions for teaching to several groups within the congregation there in general. He he begins to speak to the older men of the fellowship, and he tells him there in verse 2. He says, Titus, to the older men, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Those were the few years under their belts. They I started to say they, I guess we ought to be an example to the body of Christ. I used to be able to say they, okay? Those were the few years older men ought to stand as an example to the whole congregation, to the younger portion of the congregation, to the children, but also throughout the community. He said that they need to be sober. This isn't speaking about the fact that they're not dropped down, rolling on the ground, drunk. No, that's a different idea, different understanding. Literally, what this word means, as well as figuratively, it is the idea of being level-headed, to being self-controlled. And, well, again, I I hate that word, self-controlled. I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. It's really in control of self. Don't let yourself control you. You need to allow the Spirit to control yourself. When I'm self-controlled, that's when I get into trouble. Amen? Amen. But when we're spirit-controlled, that's when we're doing the right thing, going the right direction. He says to be reverent. And that idea of reverence is the idea of not being a fool, but being worthy of respect. For those of you that know me, if you've known me for very long, you know that once in a while, on an odd day, I'll, I'll joke around. It's, it's rare, but uh, there, there are times. Well, it's, it's not that you can't have fun. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is you know when time is to be reverent, to take serious the situation that's in front of you, to be temperate. And that idea is to be thoughtful and to, again, be in control of your actions. You're not bouncing from one thing to another thing to another thing and your emotions all over the place. But again, as older men in Christ, your life, there needs to be a balance there. It's the idea, even as he says, that they need to be sound in faith, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. That idea is, again, healthy, uncorrupted in their faith or in the faith, that you know what you believe, you know 
why you believe it, and you're able to stand strong in it, and your faith is uncorrupted by the things of the world, that you're sound in your love. In other words, it's a healthy love that you show to individuals around you. And it's that idea of agape love, that giving and that caring love that takes of yourself and, again, cares for and becomes a part of lives around you. Also that you're sound in your patience, and that patience, that's the idea of endurance and perseverance. And rather that means in your patience and endurance with those that you're sharing the gospel with and they don't receive it and they're, they're not ready for it and they're walking away, that we need to be patient and we need to endure in the continual proclamation and the living out of the gospel. But that also means about those that reject so strong that they come and they attack the gospel. And in attacking the gospel, you seem to be the one on the front lines. And you're wondering, why am I being? Why is this attack coming to me? Well, again, that whole idea of being patient, enduring with perseverance, again, speaking, declaring, and living the truth of God's word. And of course, their patience, all of our patience, should be based on the reality of Christ's soon return. And that's what we read actually a little bit later down in this chapter. He says down in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things that we notice right off is the similarity between this listing here of these personal characteristics that he gives us here, as well as the characteristics that he gave earlier in chapter one about those serving in the office of elder. Well, the fact is, is, whether we be young or old, whether we be male or female, these characteristics are for all of us, that we would be, all of us, godly examples to the world around us and to the church. Again, so that people can look at our lives and they see the reality and the truth of the gospel in our lives. And it affirms and confirms the reality and the truth of God and the message and the hope of the gospel to the people that we come in contact with. Paul then moves on from speaking to older men to giving instructions for older women, or should I say those women with additional years of experience of life, okay? Is that, is that a nicer way to put it? Paul, Paul's a little bit more bold there. He says, for the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet and chaste and homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Paul's instruction here to the older women, while similar to that of the older men, that still has some major differences here. We need to be careful, though, as we look at the characteristics that it's not just for women, and then the other one is just for men. He says, for the older women, don't be slanders. Oh, but for you old guys, you could be slanders. No, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's bringing in specific things here, but I believe in the general order of things, each one of these characteristics, each one of these attributes need to touch in each one of our lives. But here... For the women, Paul emphasizes that they too, likewise, he says, these women need to be reverent. 
In the Greek, Paul uses actually a a different word for the women than he does for the men. The men also were to be reverent. For the men, the word that he uses there has the meaning of being honorable, honest, high moral character, being worthy of respect. For the women, he uses a totally different Greek word there that carries with it the meaning of respected, but even more so having an exemplary display of consecrated holiness to God, an exemplary display of consecrated holiness to God. Again, the life of an older woman and the impact that she makes both on family as well as the members within the congregation as well as on the world outside, showing again the reality and the truth of God in her life. He says that they're not to be slanderers. And it's interesting about that word. In, in the singular, the Greek word for slanderers is diabolos. Diabolos. If you're from the Southwest or you know anything about the Spanish, diabolos, of course, has the meaning or the translation of devil or Satan himself. Well, that's the, that's the translation in the Greek, too, of Satan or, or the devil. When it's in the plural, it brings about more of a direct translation of not using one's tongue in a devilish manner. So again, that your tongue would bring glory to God and not be used by the enemy himself. In addition, Paul tells Titus to encourage the older women to not be given to much wine. That's the exact same wording that he addressed for the deacons when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, the direct translation here, again, is not enslaved to much wine, not habitual drunkards. Newt Larson, in his commentary from the Holman Commentary on the book of Titus, he writes this. He says that older women are not to be addicted to much wine. This is the parallel to self-control about which the men were instructed. Drinking seems to have prevailed among older women within that society, but the Christian was to follow a higher standard. She was to be controlled by God's spirit and not by wine. She was to break ranks with common habits and values and exceed them by living a life of restraint, honor, and usefulness. In other words, in contrast, to being controlled by alcohol or even today controlled by drugs or other prescription or other types, the older women were to be teachers of good things. They were to admonish the young women and the list that he gives for them. Paul gives Titus a positive direction of instruction for these older women with the same need that's seen in the church today Paul is directing him for the women of Crete, but it's no different than what we need also today. Paul is telling him that the older women had a very important role in the church. That important role is as mentors and as teachers of younger women. And he lists no less than seven different areas that these older women could be assisting with the younger women. First of all, if they are married, They should be true lovers of their husbands. That's the understanding that it's not just simply an an outward way, but also a a deep, full, and, and complete love for their husbands. And I know for some of you women, it's a greater challenge than for others. I understand that. But yet still in Christ and by the Spirit of God. Understanding really the depth of the meaning when it says that we are to become one flesh. It's much more than just the physical union. 
It's the physical, it's the emotional, it's the spiritual union of the two together being one flesh. He says that they are to be lovers of their children, taking a full, an earnest interest in the physical, emotional, and spiritual welfare and well-being of their children, not just simply setting them in front of a a television or a video or or just dealing with uh, uh, electronics all day long, but taking an interest and a part in the lives and the upbringing of the children. He says that they were to be discreet or, once again, having self-control or control of self. Not led by the passions of the flesh or or the enticements of of the world that's all around, that's continually drawing and and pulling them. It's all too easy to be drawn into the world's way of thinking rather than making that determination within our hearts and minds of saying, no, I will not be drawn into that. I will seek after the face of God in my life. The idea of being chaste or, or pure Again, it's all a part of that having control of self, and it means being a pure mind and and pure heart. Christian wife is to be true, true to her faith and to her husband in mind and heart as well as in action. Every aspect of her life, pure and chaste. Then he says this one about homemakers, busy at home. And some of you women who work outside the home said, now, wait a minute. You're not going to tie me down to the four walls of my little shack. There's no way that's going to happen. I've been working outside. Understand what he's speaking here. Not as a prisoner of their own home, but a caring for the home is the idea. That idea that they are the guide or the manager of the household affairs. Paul, again, when he wrote to Timothy in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, he says that they ought to manage their house. And again, I believe that the wise husband allows the wife to manage the affairs of the household. That is the calling of God in their life. It says also that these young women should be good or kind. Again, not an ongoing harshness or bitterness or a meanness in her care for her home or in her relation to her husband or her care for the children, but just as the Proverbs 31 wife declares that she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. That's the idea. That's the thought that he speaks about there. The seventh one, you know where we're going with this. He says, obedient to their own husbands, or some of your versions even say, subject to their husbands. And some right now in your mind, your hands are on your hip, And you say, are you kidding me? Do you know the guy that I married and what's turned out? But let me share this with you. If we are to follow the plans and the directions of God's word in our lives, you can't get around the fact that it was God that appointed and ordained men to be the head of the home. And that's not because of man's superiority. It's not because of man's great wisdom and talents and abilities but simply because that's God's design and that's God's plan. The equality of the sexes doesn't negate the distinctiveness of the sexes. God made men men for a reason. God made women women for a reason. And the more that you and I recognize that and live our lives toward that, 
the more I believe that God is going to be able to use us in the fullness. Faith plays such an important role in our daily decisions. It guides our steps, pointing us toward the paths God knows are best for us. But do we allow it to deeply impact our lives? Pastor David has been encouraging us and challenging us to not only learn the scriptures, but allow them to permeate every part of us. We're blessed to be a part of that in your life with this study in Titus, and we hope that you'll join us again right here on The Open Word. Knowing God's Word is important, as is prayer and fellowship with other believers. All of these build a solid foundation of faith from which we can grow and share the love our Father has for us. If you have yet to find and begin attending a church in your area, we hope you'll do it soon. With that in mind, Pastor David has a special invitation. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and also 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. You can find directions and a little bit more about our church by visiting theopenword.com. At the bottom of the page, you'll find a link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Click on that link and it'll bring you to the church homepage. We're excited to have you as a part of our time in Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at our site, you'll be able to listen to additional messages from Pastor David, plus find out more about the ministry of The Open Word. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to join us again to keep learning the Bible with Pastor David and The Open Word.